yes, it's true. This is the end of Galatians as we know it. Personally, I feel fine. Okay. REM reference. Really? All right. Very good. Hey, we've been going along in this in this journey, and uh, I don't know about you, but it's been a really challenging journey for me. It's been a really great uh, journey, uh, just really uh, learning to uh, exist and and even frolic in the wide open spaces of grace, uh, and also just really wrestling with uh, expectation uh, and conduct and uh, just kind of the, the, the burden of the law in trying to get uh, closer to the heart and mind of God on this. Uh, you know, the first several uh, weeks, uh, we really spent just a really conceptual uh, kind of discussion about grace and what that looks like. Last week, Paul in his letter kind of turned the corner a little bit and it got a little bit more practical. And then this week, as we close this letter to the church in Galatia, uh, I feel that it gets really practical and and really talks about, okay, you know, we've talked a lot about grace, and we've talked a lot about the law, and, you know, specifically about uh, circumcision and, uh, and all of these kinds of things. Now, as I close this letter, you as the body of Christ, and he specifically is writing to the Galatian church, but I think it's equally as applicable to us, us as the body of Christ, how do we move forward uh, with, uh, you know, with this kind of new understanding and new challenge of being people of God's grace. So if you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, and we'll start right up at the top in, in verse 1, uh, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Now, there's three uh, key words in there that I just kind of want to illuminate for you and, and, and hopefully uh, just kind of have it ignite in your mind and in your soul. Uh, first of all, you know, who, who is qualified to really speak into somebody's life? And, and the first thing is those of you who are godly. Well, what is a godly person? Is that somebody with a big hat and robe, you know, and, and says thee and thou a lot? Or, or is it something different? Well, you know, to be godly, that would be someone who uh, uh, illuminates or, or portrays or personifies the characteristics of God. Well, we know God is what? God is love. So the personification of pure love, of true love, of of. Uh, being um, pure and 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 uh, and uh, caring and just and merciful and and all of these things. So, first of all, those of you who are godly, those of you who are uh, who personify the characteristics of God, um, and ha- uh, to first gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And I think that these two words, I just, 
I think, you know, would it be great, like, if everybody who was part of a faith community, that that, that would be, like, tattooed on our foreheads or something or our, on our arms, this I, idea of, you know what, when we interact with, with one another, that we're going to interact with each other with gentleness and humility. You know, this, this idea of, you know, we're not going to beat each other. We're, we're not going to browbeat or we're, we're not going to uh, uh, come in with condemnation or, or use any other kind of unhealthy relational kind of manipulation. But we're going to handle with each other gently. And, and we're going to do it with this sense of humility. And basically, humility is, is understanding that, you know what, we've all fallen short of God's you know, vision for our lives. That we've all fallen short of that. And, and really, when we approach somebody, you know, if the circumstances were just a little bit different, we, if the, the circumstances were different, that we could be in a different place, that actually somebody would be coming to us and saying, hey, you know what, I've, I've noticed some self-destructive behavior, some community-destructive behavior lately, and understanding that at some point, all of us need a gentle and kind and encouraging word to help us, as Paul's words, help us back on to the path. Jesus talks about how to do this humbly and gently in Matthew 18. Uh, it says, if another believer sins against you, and other transcripts, it just says sins. It says, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. You see, notice what Jesus didn't say, which is actually kind of the norm, unfortunately, in, in our culture, not even just the Christian culture, but culture. It says, you know, don't go into a bathroom stall and write a poem about the person, right? Don't, don't uh, spread gossip about the person. Don't give innuendos about pers- a person, uh, in in the specifically in the Christian culture, uh, don't give leading prayer requests about that person. You know what I'm talking about? Like if I was in a growth group and uh, and I said, you know, guys, I just want us to pray for Pastor Dan. You know, I'm just really worried about him. We just need to lift him, him up. You know, I, I've seen him in some pretty unsavory uh, places lately. And I don't know. I mean, it, you, know, you know, I mean, it happens, right? You know what that's called? It's not called a prayer request. It's called gossip. And it is not righteous. It is not humble. It is not gentle, and a godly person doesn't do it. One of my, uh, I think one of the most relationally unhealthy thing that happens in our culture is e-fighting. And again, this is the, the very opposite of being godly, humble, or gentle. You know, and there's two levels of e-fighting. There, there's, there's those of, uh, those out there nobody here. But like somebody who posts on Facebook, and they just go ahead and tag the person and just let them have it. 
you know, at so-and-so, you know, is blah, 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 blah. I think at least that has a degree of, of credibility and respect uh, to it. You know, but again, it's not godly. It's not humble, and it's definitely not gentle, right? And then there's the other one, the passive-aggressive posts. These drive me up the wall. You know, it'd be like, you know, there's a pastor I know. He thinks he's really close to God, but he's like six foot seven. And he really didn't have anything to do with it. And then I go and post something just passive-aggressive where, you know, everybody kind of knows, or at least people in the know, know that, that, that I would be referring to, to Pastor Dan. But, uh, but, it, but in, you know, in reality, it, it has no place. It, it is as far away from interacting in a godly or, or healthy manner that you can you can be, and, and all it does is tear apart that person. It it uh, it tears your soul apart, and it rips apart community. And this is why Jesus is saying, "Look, you know." And Paul's alluding. He's like, "Those of you who are godly, go humbly and gently." And Jesus says, first, go to that person in private." And and what is the main purpose of going to that person in private? Restoration, right? restoration of the relationship. And, he, and then the second thing Jesus says is, look, if, if it's still really an issue, bring one or two other people along with you. Not people that are, you know, going to just be on your side. That's not godly. That's not humble. That's not gentle. No. Bringing one or two other people along and say, "Hey, you know what? We have to. We need to have a conversation about this because you know what? I, I feel like you're engaged in you know some self-destructive or community-destructive behavior, and and we need to you know have some restoration here. And then and then finally says, look, if it still doesn't go, you know, bring them before the church or you know the you know bring in the pastor at this point. You know, call up me or Pastor Dan and and say, hey, you know what?" Uh, and we just, we need, we need some extra voices uh, into this to really discuss it. And I think if we as a, as a community would just follow just kind of this, this kind of these principles of, of, you know what, when we interact with one another, we are going to interact in a godly manner that we're going to be humble and gentle and always have the attitude and hope of restoration that that would move our relationships with God and people so much farther forward. But he gives a warning. He says, look, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Because, you know, sometimes we do. Sometimes we can uh, connect what, what I would call is, is toxic friends, right? Have you ever had a toxic friend? A toxic friend is, is somebody who, who, whenever you hang out with that person that you actually are less healthy than if you were not with them. That, that you do things and behave in certain ways that are not, uh, you know, good for your relationship with God or good for, with the relationship with other people, and, and, and it tears you down. And, you know, it's true. And, and we got to beware not to, to engage in and get pulled down by toxic friendships. 
And then the next verse, I think this is really within the context of, of what we've been talking about, the law of grace and really the law of Mosaic, the Mosaic law. He says there this, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And here we have our, our first like, aha, oh, you know what, what it, you know, the law of Moses, there's 613 laws of Moses. In the first century, one of these highlighted kind of uh, uh, laws was to be circumcised. And what Paul is doing here is very cleverly saying, aha, you have the Mosaic law, you have the law of Moses, but now we're under the law of grace, the new law of Christ. And what is that law? Well, that is to share each other's burdens. And then he goes on to say, look, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. Because nobody else thinks you're that important, right? That's, that's basically what he's saying. Like, I like Paul a lot, like how he writes and communicates from a distance, but I don't think I'd like to be his friend. You know, uh, but, but here he's like, look, you, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. And I don't know what it is about, about uh, uh, being a Christian, I guess, for a while. It, it, we have the tendency or just, you know, uh, people of faith have the tendency to kind of get puffed up, right? To get kind of self-righteous. And, he, and, and he's saying here, he's like, look, you're not that holy. In fact, the most godly symbol of being godly is humility and going to those who can't go to you. I mean, that's really what God did with Jesus, right? That God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Why did he send him? Because we didn't have the ability to go to him. But for some reason, we've we in our culture, and, and this has really been prevalent in uh, just the past few centuries, uh, that the Christian culture has kind of gone away from this kind of uh, goal of restoration and being humble and gentle and exhibiting godly characteristics when we interact with one another, that, that we've, we've kind of gone to this kind of executioner mindset. And I just... Uh, in the spirit of Paul, I just want to give you this statement. If you think it's your job to shoot a wounded Christian brother or sister, you've missed your calling. It's not your job. The law of Christ is to carry your Christian sister or Christian brother's burdens. The law of Christ is to humbly and gently encourage and bring your Christian brother or sister into a restored relationship with God or people. He goes on in, in verse 4, he says, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. 
for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Remember last week where uh, we were discussing uh, about the idea of uh, one of the most self-destructive phrases ever constructed is, at least I'm not as bad as. And usually it's some wretch that we fill in the, in the blank. And this is just kind of continuing this, this uh, kind of this mindset that we make ourselves feel better about what we're not doing by comparing ourselves to somebody who is doing things, who, who's doing even a worse job. But I can tell you, when you're standing in front of Christ someday, and you will, you know, Saying, Jesus, sweet Jesus, I wouldn't say that, but just say, Jesus, just some free advice. You know, saying, I'm not as bad as Pastor Dan, you know, it means nothing. Because we are not called to walk Pastor Dan's journey. We're called to carry his burdens, but ultimately, we only can be responsible for what God has called us to do. Jesus, I think, just uh, says it in such a colorful way, and I just, I love how he says it in Matthew chapter 7. He says, and why worry about a speck, you know, a little speck in your friend's eye when you have a log, (laughs) In, in your own. I love the imagery there, right? Who has a log in their eye? You know what? Dead people have a log in their eye. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's like some horrible industrial accident or something happened. But, I mean, this is a, it's this absurd statement, right? That Jesus is trying to paint this crazy picture of somebody with a big log in their eye trying to pick a speck out. And he says, look, how can you even think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. And I love this. Next, he goes, hypocrite! Exclamation point, right? First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And really, what I get from this is legalism doesn't save you. And at best, it just irritates Jesus, right? I mean, you know, so, but we fall into this, that we, we fall into legalism, and we start to think, oh, if I'm good enough, it's going to save me. But all it does is irritate the Savior, that we need to abide and, and live in the wide open spaces of grace while being transformed by the Spirit. In verse 6, it's interesting here, Paul, at least in my mind, and I just, I couldn't get my mind around it, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it just seems like he takes a quick left turn here, and then he goes, goes away, and he just, he writes, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. To that I say amen, I agree, and we will continue on. Verse 7. Then he gets back on track. I don't know. It's an ADD moment that Paul has or, or something. Maybe he was like watching some Christian brother or sister eating a nice meal and he was hungry. And he's like, yeah, I'll just put that in there for him. So, all right, verse 7. 
Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You are always harvest what you plant. Right? It's, it's kind of like karma, but it's not. You know, it's just like farming. You know, and uh, you, you can't plant an avocado seed and get an orange tree, right? It just, it, it, it's absurd. It just wouldn't work. And, and this is what he's saying. And, and so he goes on and says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature or selfish nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So he's kind of giving us these two kind of contrasts and just saying, look, you will reap what you sow. And it may take a long time. Farming takes a long time, right? I mean, you got you to gotta make sure that the ground is ready. You got to put the seed in there. You got to water. You got to weed it and, and everything. It takes a long time. It's not instantaneous. And saying, look, the seeds or, you know, that we're planting now, you know, eventually we will harvest what we're planting. And that can be a great thing or it can be a horrible thing. So he gives a word of encouragement. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those in the family of faith. I think that in the 21st century that this is such a hard concept for us to grasp, this, this kind of idea of reaping uh, what we sow, because, you know, all of us could go over to Walmart right now and get lettuce and, and chicken, and, like, it just, it just magically shows up. You know, I think, like, the, the, the ultimate is uh, Amazon, uh, where there's that one-click ship thing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, if you, if you, you know, buy, if you have an account with Amazon, there's a little button, it's like one-click. And, and what it means is you one-click it, and, and it, will, it, will, it will ship. And, and I'm, a, I'm a Prime member, and uh, Amazon Prime member, so I got to get free shipping that I paid, paid for in advance. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, so, you know, I, I do the, I push the little magic button, the one-click ship. I have to be very careful with this. One-click <laughs> ship button. And then magically, like two days later, things show up. Like sometimes things show up that I don't remember one-clicking. And, and it's like I get a book and I'm like, oh, somebody sent me a book. And I'm like, oh, the receipt says my name. I'm so generous, you know. Uh, you know, this kind of uh, idea. But... You know, it's as glorious and wonderful and as thankful I am for one-click ship kind of, kind, kind of things. Uh, it does remove us from the understanding of the process of what actually went into whatever is coming, right? And I think that that actually changes our mindset to spirituality, uh, and, uh, and in a positive sense and a negative sense, that, that we expect things to be instantaneous. We're like, God, I want this, or, or God, I want, you know, and, and we don't respect the process 
anymore as people. In fact, not only do we not respect or honor the process, but we don't even know what the process is. And that's incredibly damaging to individuals who are trying to build a life that's sustainable and is rich in relationship with God and people. Paul does something brilliant in, in the closing kind of paragraphs of, of his letter. And, and in verse 11, he, he says this, Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Really what Paul is doing here is Paul had very bad eyesight. And uh, his companions, his trusted companions, would do all the writing for him. And basically what he's communicating here to the Galatian church is what I'm about to tell you is so critically important that I cannot even trust my most trusted companion to write what the Holy Spirit is, is uh, wanting me to communicate to you. So I'm going to write it in my own hand. And you can imagine if you were in the Galatian church, you're like, whoa, you know, what is so important? And, and the same is true for us. I believe this letter is every bit as, uh, uh, every bit as much for us or meant for us as it was for them. And this is this thing that Paul in his own hand wanted to communicate to us here tonight. Verse 12, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. He's saying, look, we are all people of grace. And the grace of God alone, as represented as the, uh, by the cross, can save us. It's not the cross plus baptism. It's not the cross plus tithing. It's not the cross plus going to church. And it's not the cross plus serving. And these are just things that are 21st century equivalent to uh, circumcision. Things that we elevate as important things. But it's not the cross plus that. And I want to tell you this. These things are signs of transformation through salvation in Christ. They're not the cost of admission. They're not the cost of of acceptance. And there is a huge difference there. You see, what I think Paul in this whole letter is trying to communicate to us as the church, that there's, there's kind of two ways of, of trying to uh, uh, be right with God. There's the first way that is the old covenant, and those are trying to obey the law and work your way to being good enough to, to be accepted by God. 
And in our context, that could be, you know, hey, I'm, I want God to like me, so I'm going to get baptized, or I want God to like me, so I'm going to tithe, or I want God to like me, so I'm going to go to church, and all of these things. And basically, we end up creating a religious system that is just a new incarnation of the law. And I think what he's saying is there's a different way. And that way is a way of transformation. A way that, you know what? By having an encounter with the one true living God, that, that as a response of that encounter, that we want to be baptized. We want to serve. We want to give so others can hear the good news. We, we want to be in community. And the two can look very similar, but at their heart, one is of immense value and the other is worthless. He goes on in verse 13, he says, even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Essentially, that they want you as a Christian trophy. My dear friends, uh, Jamie and Heidi, they're uh, hunters, and uh, uh, they have a whole bunch of dead animals on their wall. And uh, in fact, uh, anybody, they have a lion, like a full-size lion, and don't judge, just telling the story. They're dear friends of mine. Like anybody who goes to their house, their Facebook page is like instantaneous them and the lion. You know, uh, everybody wants their Facebook page to be the lion. Uh, so, uh, you know, and basically like that's, that's their trophy room, right? And, uh, and I think a lot of times, and I don't know when it became this way or how it evolved, but some people have, have taken... Uh, Christianity to being like spiritual big game hunters, and and they'll 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 try to make Christians their trophies, like uh, basically the same thing as lopping their heads off and putting them on the wall, or something like that. That that they uh, will say, you know, words like, you know, oh I. I have this many people in my growth group or, or Bible study or I got, you know, this is one of my favorite, I, I got, I've, I've got this many people saved. Really, Jesus? Good job. You know, I was like, uh, like how, did you, how did you save them? You know, uh, you know and, and these, these kind of words, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you know this kind of like the spiritual big game hunter thing. And it's like, look, you know what? God has not called you to, to be a headhunter. He's called you to live a life of transformation that is the, and to personify his love and his goodness, not by your own power, but you've, because you've immersed yourself in his love and through the overflow of his goodness. Continues on and he says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. 
It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if uh, you've been baptized or not in an in a ultimate sense. It doesn't matter if you tithe or not. It doesn't matter if you uh, go to church or not. Again, talking in the, the right, being accepted by Christ uh, frame set here or mindset. Then he says this, what counts is, all our ears should be poking, uh, poking, perking, not poking, perking up at what counts is. Wouldn't it be glorious if all of life was that simple? What would it be glorious if, if your boss says, you know, hey, I need you to do this, 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 and this, and this, but to be honest with you, what counts is this. Or what about, you know, those of you who uh, are in college or, or in school? You know, your teacher's like, yeah, I need you to do this, 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 this. And you're like, I have like other classes. What are you doing? But if they followed up, you know what? But I'm only going to grade. Only this is going to count. And you'd be like, sweet, that's all I'm going to do, right? Or, or like my favorite, you know, if your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend says, look, what counts is this? You know, do whatever, but this is the thing that you need to focus on. This is what Paul's doing for us. He's saying, look, this is what counts. And this is what he says. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. What counts in life is our transformation by an encounter with a loving God. What counts is that we have been restored. Our relationship with God is restored. And through that restoration, we can, we can promote His love in this lost and hurting world. And that we can have a right relationship with God, a restored relationship with God, a restored relationship with people because we have been transformed into a new creation. And I just want to uh, honor the Apostle Paul uh, and just uh, read the ending of, of his letter. And basically, he's just wrapping it up. But I think since we've gone through the whole letter, it's, it's important uh, that we do that. He says, may God's peace and mercy, and this is to you guys, May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle, the law of Christ, the law of grace. They are new people of God. You are new people of God. I love, from a pastor's standpoint, I love the next sentence. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. <laughs> He's like, really, guys? But there's no Galatians 2. I mean, there's a 2 Corinthians. The Corinth church obviously didn't get it the first time. But the, the Galatians, they did a good job. No Galatians 2. You know, it's the only one. So they didn't bother him again. And then he says, For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. And then hear these words as they are for you. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks.